We talked with Karen Wayland, the new CEO of Gridwise Alliance, about the Biden administration's priorities for grid modernization and the possibility of significant funding for the grid. Take a listen. Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward, and today we have with us Karen Wayland. Karen, thanks for joining. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what led you into the role there at the helm of Gridwise Alliance, and what you're doing now? Yeah, thanks for asking. I started at Gridwise last year as a policy advisor, and I started talking to them about doing more work focused on the state level because so much of the work on grid modernization is happening, you know, with the utilities at the state level going to um, approvals at the state level. But then COVID hit, and we really started thinking about, you know, what a big recovery package might look like. And my thoughts around that came from my previous experience um, working in energy policy. I worked for um, on the House and Senate leadership during you know economic downturns. I worked for Speaker Pelosi, you know, in 2009, 2010, when we did the Recovery Act. Um, I also worked at the Department of Energy, working for Secretary Moniz. So I really looked at all the programs that were in the grid modernization space and and looked at the great things that the department was doing with its grid modernization initiative. So that kind of fed into the work that I started doing at Gridwise in terms of developing a, you know, a federal agenda for infrastructure spending in the space, in the grid space. Quite a great background in policy. So you're pretty fresh in your role there at the helm. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve and what are you hoping to affect in, in the short term? Well, someone um, said that, you know, we should be thinking about, what are we doing for the industry? What are we doing for our member companies? And what are we doing for the individuals that participate in Gridwise Alliance? So I'm really focused on helping to deliver benefits across those three areas. You know, what can we do for the industry? And I think really raising the profile of the need for investment in the grid as, you know, people, a lot of people are focused on what we plug into the grid. So electric vehicles, I know we're going to talk about that, you know, about distributed energy resources, microgrids, big, large scale utility, solar, you know, really the decarbonizing of the economy. And they aren't necessarily focused on the grid itself as a platform for making all of those things achievable. And so my goal is to really raise the profile there. Um, also to showcase really the very interesting and innovative things that our members are doing in this space, you know, deploying really innovative solutions to um, reduce carbon emissions and accelerate um, the electrification of buildings and vehicles. Um, And then for the individuals, we're doing a lot of interesting things like bringing policymakers to talk to our members and having our members be able to showcase what they're doing to policymakers. So we're going to, we're going to try a lot of um, new things over the coming year and see see what works for our members and what works for really delivering our message to the outside world. So today's Thursday, May 6th. We're 15 months in here to the global pandemic. And I really always like to start this question before we get into the meat of our discussion. How are you, how are the folks there at Gridwise doing? I think we're doing well. Um, We are kind of, we've always been a bit of a remote organization. So the last executive director lived in in Colorado and I split my time between Nevada and Washington, D.C. So we've always kind of 
had to figure out how to work remotely. Um, and now that we have the new technologies like Zoom and Teams, and it makes being connected easier. But we're, we're fine. I will say that um, one of my big concerns is the impact of the pandemic on the people who use electricity. I mean, that you know, many, many, many of the customers in this country suffered severe economic losses and um, it's changed the dynamic of how electricity is used. It's changed the dynamic of um, the energy burden on low-income people. And for utilities, the significant change in load, the loss of load and unpaid bills have created a situation where making proactive investments in grid modernization um, are difficult because they are rightly concerned about you know the lost revenue. The public utility commissions are worried about the impacts on ratepayers who are already you know facing burdens over the last year and a half. So I, I think it really points to a need for us to be creative, innovative, and to look to conversations with federal policymakers about how to address the real needs in the grid modernization space in a way that doesn't place undue burdens on the individual ratepayers. Yeah, because they're already suffering through the pandemic. Well, for our first topic, Gary, I don't know that we necessarily need to take uh, too much time on a 101 on federal energy uh, perspectives, but can you share a bit on how grid modernization has been supported by the federal agencies over recent years and leading up to kind of where we're at now? Sure. Um, So there was a bill that was passed in 2008 that included a smart grid title for the first time, Title 13. And that helped kind of craft what Department of Energy is doing in the grid modernization space. And then there have been some subsequent bills that that directed newer programs at the Department of Energy. And through appropriations in those bills, um, the department developed a cross-cutting grid modernization initiative that touches on um, you know, many of the energy offices, the R&D offices and the national labs. There's a grid modernization lab consortium. And all of that is is designed to really push innovation in the grid space, push deployment in the grid space, push modeling and planning tools and, and develop both the technology and institutional support and insights that are necessary for grid modernization. Um, recently, the Congress passed a bipartisan Energy Policy Act of 2020 at the very end of December, and that had smart grid um, provisions in it as well. And um, so we're looking forward to seeing how Congress appropriates for the new programs and how DOE implements those new programs. And then at the same time, we have the new Biden administration that is uh, really prioritizing climate change and climate justice and pledging a $2 trillion um, climate infrastructure bill uh, that is going to, I think, be a once in a lifetime opportunity to influence how investment gets made in the grid to decarbonize the economy. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about the infrastructure bill, but maybe before we get there yeah. a little bit, um, are there some successes that you've noticed over re- recent years? Are there areas that you think maybe are underrepresented within the focus of the federal agencies and government, just given your perspective on what's yeah. going on in the market? Yeah, I think they've done, I think they are going to continue to do very interesting things in terms of grid technologies, grid architecture, uh, grid security. Um, I think it's difficult for the federal government to truly address the needs of the states. And the, one of the things that I did when I worked for Secretary Moniz was, you know, one of his top priorities was raising the game of DOE with the states. I mean, so much of the work is happening at the state level. And 
DOE has a lot of resources for the states in terms of the state energy program and technical assistance in the various programs. But um, I think it could do more and it should do more because particularly after last year with the budget implications of the pandemic, uh, states are really strapped. And, you know, I know some states that are talking about furloughing people in their state energy offices. And, and you know, that that is a very difficult spot for states to be in when many of them are adopting very ambitious climate goals. And so, you know, the states can do, the states need more help. And I think DOE can do more help. And in fact, I believe that they are talking about reconstituting some sort of high level state policy office to kind of provide a high level entree into the department to convey the priorities of the states so that DOE can respond. So I'm, I'm hopeful there. So the administration has been a bit of a whirlwind over the last few weeks and months, getting people into mm-hmm. key agencies and positions. Are, are there some appointments and, and efforts that you're especially excited about to see, to, to see those getting in motion and put in place? Yeah, I mean, that, I, I think the creation of a White House climate team is really exciting and the, and the staff that they've, they've um, filled those spots with is, you know, they have a deep understanding of the electricity sector. And they're also approaching it from a cross-government standpoint. So I'm hopeful that when they make decisions in one department, that the implications in another department um, are coordinated within Gina McCarthy's climate team and across the Council on Environmental Quality too. So for example, if they are um, talking to the Department of Transportation about alternative uh, fuels corridors, that they're also talking to the Department of Energy about what the electricity system needs to look like in order to service those alternative fuels corridors. So um, they are doing some really good cross-programmatic program announcements. For example, when they did their offshore wind goal of 30 gigawatts, they also brought in the Department of Transportation and made a commitment to build out ports. So that, that, those are some really interesting things. I think their day one staffing across the agencies was really, really strong. I think they're a little slower on the next level down of Senate confirmed positions in making those announcements. But I, I expect to see, you know, some, a new wave of um, the Senate confirmed uh, nominees come out in the next month or so. So it's just exciting to watch. It's really exciting. We can talk the whole time about all that's in motion with the administration and the agencies, but let's yeah. dive into the infrastructure package. Um, like, like you all, we've looked very closely at the overview for the American Jobs Plan that came out from the White House in the last couple of weeks. Um, as you know, there's hundreds of billions of dollars to support investments in grid and energy infrastructure. Are, are there some aspects of that 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 you were enthused about? What's your immediate reaction to to what you've seen come out from the White House on that? Well, there's a lot to like in there. I mean, there's there's the extension of the ITC and the PTC for renewable energy. There's the storage ITC. There's um, uh, $50 billion for resilience, um, and, it, and they specifically call out the electric grid as well as, you know, a, a, some other critical infrastructure. There's $100 billion for what they call a renewed grid, which includes um, a new ITC for transmission, um, you know, a, a new authority at Department of Energy for um, grid developing transmission. Uh, there have been some parallel commitments that that Department of Energy will use the loan guarantee program for um, new grid projects. Uh, we're waiting to see the outlines of what that looks like. The, um, the infrastructure package also has a clean energy standard, but there's a lot in there. And the overarching theme there is that um, you know, the administration is committed to deploying not just 
R&D, but actual deployment of technology. And so what we want to make sure is that when there's money going out the door from the agencies for that deployment, that grid modernization is part of what they're looking at. Yep. And beyond the buckets you had listed, we took notes of the the tens of billions focused at climate innovation and labs and research and the um, domestic manufacturing capabilities. So there was a lot to like. Um, All the housing, all the building upgrades and the electrification of the fleets. When you look at the package as it currently stands and the the details, um, it was was a number of pages, but the details where they're at, what additional information would you like to see uh, as as it starts heading towards uh, you know, making an infrastructure package a reality, or as it starts heading towards Congress to, to get the details put on it. Yeah, I you know when you look at the really um, ambitious goals, let's just take like uh, transportation electrification. Um, the, this is where there is some fair amount of specificity in the twenty five page fact sheet on the American Jobs Plan, and they're recommending um, one hundred seventy four billion dollars in incentives, both for consumers for electric vehicle purchases and to create a network of 500,000 charging stations around the country. And, you know, I, I look at that and I say, okay, that's a, a massive amount of investment in transportation that is relying on the electric grid in order to power that sector. There has to be a parallel set of investments made in the grid in order to be the platform to provide the power for the transportation sector. And unfortunately, I don't see that articulated in the plan. Um, and so I'm that's what we're going to be looking for and advocating for is not just around transportation electrification, but but, you know, uh, identifying the um, goals of the American Jobs Plan and making sure that the grid can be that platform to meet all of those goals because um, I, they may have intended it. And, you know, behind the 25 page fact sheet, there, there are likely spreadsheets that have lists of programs where that funding will go. But we want to make sure that, that the programs of the federal government that deal with grid modernization are specifically called out. Yeah. And I think we, we were, uh, especially enthusiastic uh, and supportive to see a hundred billion dollars with a title that said grid modernization. You know, the, the chapters underneath didn't clarify, especially how the distribution level investments could flow. Um, right. How do you think those specifics might become more clear? Where, where, where can industry and other stakeholders lean to, to find out what could be included there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we have been talking to Capitol Hill and as have you, Bryce, uh, for months now about grid modernization. And when we saw the plan, we did, you know, have some conversations with the Hill and they, you know, they're confident that they're going to be writing whatever, whether it's a reconciliation package or an authorizing package, that they'll be writing the infrastructure package. But I also think it's really important not just to focus on the Hill, but to, to continue to talk to the administration, because the White House has an incredible bully pulpit. They have, you know, a microphone that no one else in this country has. And if most of the investment that has to happen is going to be approved at the state level, it would be really important for the states to hear from the White House that it's critical for them to approve these investment plans and that there will be a federal cost share along with it to accelerate the the um, deployment of technology and to help the, the approval process ease it a little bit, de-risk that approval process it, because the federal funding will take the burden off the ratepayers. 
to some extent. So I think I think it's really important for us to continue to have conversations with the White House to explain what the challenges will be in meeting these really ambitious um, goals for the things that are plugged into the grid, as well as the ongoing work that um, the utility sector is already doing to help you know, electrify transportation, to help electrify buildings, to help decarbonize the sector. As you mentioned, we've been collaborating on socializing the importance of, of investments in grid modernization, especially with folks on the Hill. And I know you guys have outlined a package, so obviously you're not going to run through the whole details, but can you maybe uh, cover some of the highlights or some of the uh, importance and, and key elements of the $50 billion, uh, package that you all are, are have put together? Sure. I will just frame it in that um, because I watched how money went out the door during the last economic downturn and, and Congress's um, big, big Recovery Act bill to address it, I, I saw how difficult it was to move money quickly out the door to deploy technology and create jobs when programs were new. So I really focused on looking at existing programs across the federal agencies where there was experience um, at the staff level in moving, you know, in creating grant programs and the rules around the grants, the rules around um, state programs. And so what you'll hear from me is a discussion of buckets of money that could flow through existing programs um, with the hope that that would result in, you know, quick, quick deployment, quick economic stimulus. So the first bucket is really around, um, flexibility and how you can enhance the flexibility of the grid because the nature of the grid, particularly the distribution distribution grid is changing so quickly from a one-way flow of of power to a two-way flow of power and information, plus lots of variability, lots of new things like distributed energy resources being plugged into the grid. So we focused on things that would provide, you know, greater visibility, greater grid control. So those are things like sensors, uh, advanced grid controls, data analytics, software service, storage. We wanted those to go both to uh, utilities and other and grid operators, but also to the um, power marketing uh, administrations, the PMAs that are um, federally owned, big, huge transmission that have very um, innovative grid modernization plans themselves, but that can't get grants. So we also were looking at increasing the borrowing authority for the PMAs to be able to accomplish that. We looked at how you might make investments to encourage uh, buildings and vehicles to become truly integrated with the grid and what's going to have to happen in energy management systems of buildings and, um, you know, the, the accelerated deployment of smart appliances and um, what has to happen in terms of grid investments to allow grid operators to take full advantage of um, integrated buildings and vehicles. We, you know, as you start plugging more of these um, grid integrated things um, into the grid, you really need to address cybersecurity. So we are recommending a big bump up in monitoring platforms that DOE already funds for small and medium utilities and um, technology deployment and workforce training in cybersecurity. We are recommending an increase in utility communication spending that that utility communication upgrades will become the backbone of a smart grid. Um, and so there are a lot of opportunities to help accelerate that that um, utility communication, but also um, potentially provide um, some help with access to broadband, either through middle mile or last mile um, connections through utility communication networks. Um, resilience is a big piece. You know, um, we, that's one of the largest pieces of our of our package, you know, making investments 
through a variety of different programs to increase the resilience of critical infrastructure, shelters, hospitals, schools, Department of Defense facilities, public housing, uh, wildfire detection, hardening of utility equipment. So that's a large chunk of money. And um, and I think that our agenda really well aligns with what the administration is thinking in their $50 billion recommendation. And then workforce development broadly. So, you know, how do we create a workforce that is trained and able to dive into deploying, you know, highly digital equipment, you know, new technologies. So that's just it. A little, little bit about a $50 that's, billion. Dollar that's the preview. Well, thank you for putting it together and yeah. so, so socializing it. And um, I know it really well aligns with our, our briefing that we've recently put out there. Um, we can make y- your, your package available to our listeners and, and as well as our briefing, but I'll just read the headline and then the chapter heads of the five areas of ours to give people a sense of how well we're aligned. So, so our, our briefing says the grid is essential for progress yet vastly underfunded. Right. So that's that's the headline. And then the five the five chapters are decarbonization happens on the grid, flexibility for continuous innovation, resiliency to dire weather events, equitable access to affordable energy and reducing the danger of cyber threats. Right. So really those five areas we wanted to call attention to. And I know you get, you have them well captured in your package. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. So, you know, maybe you can share a little bit about how the transition heads here from the White House um, and into Congress. Uh, what what sort of process are, are you hearing or thinking is, is likely or possible? I know a lot of options are on the table as far as how the infrastructure package could become reality. Yeah. And, and it's sort of a crystal ball at this, at this time, uh, you know, moving by regular order would include, um, you know, committees rolling out uh, big legislative proposals, going through hearings and then passing it and moving it to the house and Senate floor and having a conference committee um, in the Senate, obviously any kind of, regular order legislation requires 60 votes. And I think that the the general feeling is that a $2 trillion infrastructure package will not get 60 votes in the Senate. So if that's the case, then the Democrats are considering moving the package through reconciliation, which is a budget process that doesn't require 60 votes. But it does limit the kind of um, provisions that you can include because they have to revolve around revenue for the federal government. In our plan, for example, because we focus on existing programs, we likely could just, um, you know, work with the committees to uh, put language into each of our buckets that says, you know, this has to be mandatory spending. And then I think that takes care of it without us having to really um, contort ourselves with new policies like forgivable loans or, or refundable tax credits for each of these things. So I think we're okay either in regular order or in reconciliation. Um, I do think that grid investments are largely bipartisan. I mean, there's bipartisan support for making these investments, even if you don't believe that one of the reasons to do it is for climate change, resilience and security and aging infrastructure drivers are, are completely nonpartisan. So I do think that um, we will get support for the grid. The Republicans have put out their own framework for an infrastructure package that's significantly less than what uh, President Biden has been talking about. 
and um, it does not include the electric grid as, as part of what they would fund as infrastructure. President Biden, given his years of work in the Senate, uh, is starting to have negotiations with, you know, Senate leaders of both parties and, and the House, although I hear from House Republicans that they are not part of any discussions with about an infrastructure package. But I think there are going to be some attempts to do, uh, you know, find a middle ground somewhere between 600 billion and 2 trillion. But I don't think that President Biden's going to wait, want to wait forever. So I think in the next couple months, you'll start to see some real movement on the Hill. And how that movement takes place depends on what happens with negotiations over the next month and a half or so. I think, you know, ultimately, we're going to end up with a reconciliation package and we'll get some sort of Christmas present that will be an infrastructure <laughs> package. But, you know, that's, that's a, a, again, a crystal ball based on a little bit of Hill experience. But, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, obviously, a lot of folks are learning a lot more about what reconciliation is and, and how it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You all have recently announced uh, uh, an advisory council that is really kind of the who's who of industry leaders. Um, how are you planning to leverage that group and and use them with the interactions that you have infrastructure package and beyond? Yeah, it's an exciting group. It's, it's uh, some of our members some members in the utility sector or in the manufacturing sector that aren't our members. We have um, the two unions that are concerned with the grid, the um, IBEW and the Utility Workers Union of America. Uh, we have um, a couple environmental groups and the Climate Justice Alliance. And so it's a really diverse set of stakeholders um, who are working in this sector. And our goal is to really raise, use them and their voices and their uh, reputations to raise the level of discussion around grid modernization and the importance of it. And we, I think we've already succeeded. We worked with the White House to coordinate an announcement where they, um, they released a fact sheet um, a week or so ago that included a, an announcement around a transmission project, an announcement about a um, new report that's out about jobs and, and transmission projects, and then the announcement of our Grid Infrastructure Advisory Council along with a language about, uh, you know, our emphasis on grid modernization and the importance of grid modernization. And so that was our interactions got the attention of the White House in terms of, you know, raising grid modernization, but their announcement of our, um, you know, their recognition of our announcement also got attention. And we received a lot of uh, requests from the media and others. And so we'll continue to use the voices of the Grid Infrastructure Advisory Council to, you know, advocate in the White House and on the Hill for these investments, but also communicating to the outside world about the grid modernization as well. Well, I knew we wanted to take most of our time to talk about federal policy, which we could take a lot longer. We could take much longer to talk about all host of other issues. Um, but yeah. I know you testified not too long ago in Congress about resiliency. So maybe we can at least briefly touch on that, you know, between the hot weather in the West, the the recent winter storm, the named storms, you know, it seems that the impact and frequency of disturbances on the grid, you know, may only be accelerating. You know, what are some of the critical areas of resiliency um, where modernization can play, you know, a really key role in helping address that that you think need to progress here in the in the near term? That was a really interesting hearing because it happened right after Texas and, and the committee wanted to use the Texas freeze and, and blackouts as a way to talk about resilience. Um, but a lot of members kept going back to Texas. And I tried to step back and say, 
Texas is one place where we've had, you know, multiple instances over the last 10 years of freezes, uh, you know, that um, challenge the system. And we had wildfires in California, but let's be clear, there are resilience challenges everywhere in the country, whether it's flooding and hurricanes and, and tornadoes. And we've had um, propane crisis, you know, a couple of years ago that, that affected um, the, the north part of the country and, and people's abilities to heat their homes. So this is not a... It's not just a Texas and California problem, but what I make clear in my testimony is that not every threat uh, affects each region the same. And so you do have to look at um, the regional nature of threats, the frequency and severe, potential severity of the threats, and try to figure out how you encourage and incentivize investments in resilience because our market structure doesn't necessarily um, doesn't recognize the resilience benefits in a way that that lines up with our current regulatory structure for approving benefit costs. So I think we have some work to do in um, documenting and justifying the benefits of investments in resilience. I think we have some um, work to do in figuring out uh, how we use cost allocation for those um, resilience investments. Um, I think we potentially need to examine how we protect critical infrastructure. And I think fundamentally, we need to make sure that people realize that resilience is not just the purview of the utility alone. There's, a, there's a, um, an individual response. Um, there is a, first and foremost, the, the states and the cities are the front line for responding to events. So we have to make sure that they are aware of where there are going to be resilience challenges so that they can um, both encourage the greater resilience through a variety of manners, but also be prepared to respond in the, in the, you know, event of something. I mean, Texas, you know, they, they, they had power outages for, for close to a week and, you know, there were um, generators that were sitting around that were flown in from the federal government. And, and my understanding is that some of them sat there for a while as they tried to figure out how to best deploy those. And, and what I, in my testimony, I noted that, um, Every state has um, a state energy insurance plan and many cities have state energy insurance plans that kind of lay out how you would respond to different kinds of resilience challenges. These plans include like the names and phone numbers of all the, you know, key people that would have to be part of a response. They lay out what resources are available and those have to be updated regularly. And in many instances, they're not. And um, in 2009 in the Recovery Act, there was money for state energy insurance plans to help the states uh, update their plans or develop new plans and then exercise them. And I think it's time that we actually have a regular stream of funding to help the states and cities plan for resilience challenges, because it's not, it can't always just be on the utility. And we can't always assume that we will enact perfect resilience measures that will prevent a disruption in power. So there's got to be, you know, a, a, a broader look at how we ensure um, you know, resilience to potential disruptions to the, to the critical lifeline that is electricity. Well, there's all host of other topics. I know we could have a great discussion on mm -hmm. whether it's equity or electrification, right. cyber, analytics, market access, accelerating innovation. We could talk about all these great topics. Uh, but alas, we're near the end of our time. So let me ask you one one question and then the final question. Um, what role do you think state and local market regulators and others um, play in the evolution to align incentive structures to the capabilities that are really now being made available 
to the system with all that modernization has to offer. Do you have some thoughts around that area? Oh, I, I think they are critical. They are top line, uh, you know, at the front line of grid modernization, particularly at the distribution level. And I think there's a lot that we can do to help them. I think that um, we can do a better job of, of um, explaining what the benefits of grid modernization are. We can do a better job of um, alerting them to the technologies that are coming down the road and the capabilities of, it, of those technologies. Um, we can um, not just work with the commissioners and the state energy offices, but also some of the stakeholders that are now intervening in um, utility rate proceedings because that is a venue for um, you know advancing the decarbonization agenda and really educating those stakeholders on what role the grid has in um, decarbonizing the economy because that is a big driver in every rate proceeding around the country right now is you know how how do these investments help to decarbonize the economy and so we ha- we have to make the case i mean that's on us and um and so I think there's, there's, you know, we're bringing out a new policy advisor at Gridwise Alliance, and she's going to be doing a lot of um, writing fact sheets and putting together webinars and other things that we can do to partner with the organizations that represent the state energy officials, the um, regulatory utility commissioners, and the state legislatures to help with this education process. So absolutely, the states are, um, you know, it, it'd be great for us to get federal money. And that is where our, you know, this is a once in a, once in a decade opportunity to try to influence a big chunk of federal money. But the reality is that money is going to go into the States and the States are going to have a say in how some of that money gets spent. So absolutely the role of the States are critical and the cities. Well, shameless plug before my last question, we've been enjoying our partnership with you all as well as with SEPA and EPRI on the, utility business model working groups. And so, yes, the market structure and uh, evolution of business models are are critical in this. And it's been great to partner with you all on that. So my last question is um, kind of a a twofold one. Uh, There's a lot coming at the industry with regards to the demands and the requirements of the electric infrastructure. Um, What one or two areas are you really most excited to see in motion? And what one or two things really you know, concerns you or keeps you up at night? Well, I think the cybersecurity threat keeps me up at night um, because uh, there are so many new entree points onto the grid as we connect more and more digital devices to the grid. And you, oh, you only have to look at what happened in Texas to, as, a, as an adversary, as a hostile nation, to look at how fragile our grid might be and about how disruptive you could be if you attacked a region or the grid as a whole. That's very worrisome to me. And I, I worry that, you know, Congress has been trying the last couple of years to do cyber bills and they get hung up on jurisdictional issues between committees, which is reflected in jurisdictional fights between the Homeland Security off, you know, department and the department of energy. Those, this is a national security issue. And I think that everybody needs to get together and figure out how to share authority and share information across the federal government so that we address this critical issue. Because the, the flip side of that is the opportunity of a digital connected grid where information moves really quickly across the system, where we have you know, incredible cloud computing that allows us to you know, support artificial intelligence, remote um, learning and autonomous healing, 
of the system as you know in the middle of the disruption the ability to um let's go to cyber if we have um if there's a threat in one part of the country that that information is automatically and instantaneously conveyed to all utilities and the government and that uh you know that utilities could quickly address the threat the, the, that only happens with a digital connected grid we only get you know uh massive deployment of distributed energy resources um massive uh build out of intermittent renewable energy we only get that we only decarbonize our economy with a digital modern grid so there there are huge opportunities there um and as long as we get the cyber right as long as we get you know privacy issues around data right we we need to deal with um you know the cost allocation around this but it's a great it's a great time to be working on grid grid issues right <laughs> well Karen thanks for being on with us we look forward to our continued long partnership We've got our fingers crossed. We're in for the long haul and trying to get those uh, the, the funds moving in the right direction at the federal level. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Bryce, for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.